Hello everyone, welcome back to the True Crime Friday podcast. It's the Christmas special! Way! Which means we've got a Christmas case. This is a very popular case. This is a case where a majority of the world know about it. And if you don't, then you might have been living under a rock, but you might have heard references to it. This is the JonBenet Ramsey case. Uh, this case is very sensitive. I do understand this. This case has not been solved. It's an unsolved case and we will be mentioning murder, child murder, abduction, paedophilia and sexual assault that some people may find upsetting and or disturbing and if that is the case this will not be the episode for you but there are lighter hearted episodes so if you want to go check those out then be my guest. But welcome to series two. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Woohoo. It is three days before Christmas, but you know. Oh, oh well. Yeah, this won't come out. Uh, yeah, this will be out. Well, it's not just going to go out today. Fun. Yeah, this won't come out till before Christmas, so we have to see it early. Yes, Merry Christmas, everybody. And just good long weekend to those who don't celebrate Christmas, because, yeah, for most most people get a long weekend around Christmas. Some do not, which is really unfortunate. But I hope they have a good time anyway. Because I remember when my cousin was working in a care home, she had to work Christmas Day. And, uh, Oof. Yeah, she had to work Christmas Day. Which wasn't fun for her, but, you know, she doesn't have to do that anymore. But pe- some people do. Some people have to work Christmas Day. People in hotels have to work Christmas Day. I don't agree with, like, restaurants being open on Christmas Day. Don't know what your take on that is. And pubs. I don't know. I'll just preference. I'm not 100%. Like, yeah. Uh, and if my voice sounds a bit stuffy, it's because I've got an absolutely killer blocked nose. So going, I might sound very nasally. Going to the pub on Christmas Day is something that's never sit with me. I know people that do it, and I'm just like, no. It is to their own on what you do on Christmas, but realistically, in my mind, for me, Christmas is just having a meal at home or with your family. And not going out anywhere, spending time indoors with your family. But everyone does whatever they want to do on Christmas. And how you spend it is however you spend it. Yeah, like in my family, I go around before, just before midday. So still kind of in the morning. Sit down with them. We we all open presents together because we've always done that together. Uh, I'm serious. And then, yeah, just my mum will eventually pop red. Like from the kitchen while she's preparing Christmas dinner because you cannot get in the way of that. That is a rule. You can't get in the way. And she'll. Just... I'm grandma to grandma, granny. Oh yeah, but well, we, well, to be fair, when it's Christmas Day, it's just me, mum, dad, my brother, and then we go and see the rest of them the net on, on Boxing Day. That's how. We... Oh. Yeah, we've always it's it's just way less stressful. That way yeah, I know us. there's so much stress, and I've realised that the older I've gotten, the more stressful it kind of is. But I, I always go and see family because I feel like the best time uh, for Christmas 
It's just to see family that you don't get to see all the time because you don't live with them. So I go see grandparents, cousins, and whoever else. Yeah, that's how I may see. That's our Boxing Day. Our Boxing Day, we go around to my nana and granddad's. We get off my record player. Serious down. He's been a pain. Yeah, Serious will be part of the Christmas this year. Uh, he's get well. He's gonna be at mine. I can't take him around to my parents' house because they've got a cat, and oh. my parents are a bit like don't want to have that on Christmas Day because that's just gonna be chaos with two cats, both male as well, being quite territorial. Yeah, we're not doing that. Uh, so I got. I'll be with him in the morning. I'll come around to check on him a bit later on. But go around to my parents' house Christmas Day. Spend the day with them. Boxing Day, we drive around to my nana and granddad's. We see my little cousins and my auntie and uncle. Uh, my mum likes to describe it as a day that you ca- that she can never do sober because it's a very stressful day. She gets very stressed. And to be fair, so I get the um, when are you gonna have children? Bullshit every year, and I'm. Oh, you get that at Christmas. The family members you don't see, they always ask about your life. You feel like you're the disappointment of the family. They always ask you questions, but it's because you know. I'm the. Um, I'm that member of the family that is very aware of what is appropriate in this day and age and what isn't, and they are not. Um, oh, wise you mean to ask? It's like, they'll ask me, like, when are you having kids? And I'm just like, never, don't want them. They don't let it go. They they get really angry when, when I say no. Um, You're destroying the family bloodline. How dare you? I don't know why they have to be bothered. I've not got their last name. I've got my dad's last name. So it's not even like it's that side of the family. It's my mum's side of the family that kicks off every fucking time. And I'm just like, the fam- me and my brother just don't... Like, me, my brother doesn't want kids. I don't want kids. I'm not getting any grandkids out of us two. Like, it's not fucking happening. But I always, it's always like a big kickoff. Like, my, then after a few glasses of wine, my auntie gets a bit racist and homophobic. Okay, okay, whoa. My auntie gets a bit racist and homophobic and then it spurs on someone else to do it and then another person starts getting there. Me and my mum are just sat in the back of the room where all the food is with a glass of wine just being like, and it's begun. Like, it's a nice time to see everyone, but me and my mum are just there like, we need more wine, we can't, like, I feel like, I remember one year, um, like, this was a year I walked in and my auntie shouted, Oh, the Allards are here. Let's see how Lauren's messed up a body this time. Referring to my tattoos and piercings. And I just went, oh, great. Cheers. Sick. Love that. Love yeah, that. You pr- you, you, Love that welcome. It's so nice. And I'm going to get it again this year because they've not seen me in about a year and a bit because we didn't do it last year because my granddad was too ill. So... Like this year, we where they actually where they do it again. I'm just like, well, I've gotten three more tattoos since you last saw me. Uh, so let's get ready for that load of bullshit. I remember like, the year when my auntie did that, my mum just slid the bottle of wine to me from across the table. She's like, just drink it. This is how I get through it. Just do it. So me and my mum always like just sit at the back, just like, ah, oh, great, we're gonna get judged today. Yeah, but Christmas time is always a fun time. Um, well, I, I, I'm buzzed for Christmas. I, love, I get to see. I love Christmas. Uh, yeah, and that's why we don't... Well, if I wasn't working Boxing Day, I, we'd maybe stay over at grandparents' house just that the next day. Um, but no, I'm working on Boxing Day, but that's why when we have either Boxing Day night or uh, Hogman A, is when we get the other side of the family. Well, it's just Grand and I get nice. him over well he's in his 90s so 
Yeah, uh, like well, I've not get I've, him over. I've not got any great grandparents left, and my other grand, my dad, not anymore either. No, my my dad's parents, my other grandparents, they live in Australia now, so I can't we can't really bring them over. So they fucked off. Um, we got my dad, my dad's brothers in, but they but they live like oh, almost two hours away, so we don't we'll just talk to them, FaceTime them on Christmas Day, something like that. Just to be like, hi, Merry Christmas, all that kind of stuff. My uncle will wind my mum up because he loves to annoy her. You know? Yeah, I don't have much family that live that far away. We always just go see mum's side of the family. Up in, well, I say up in, technically down in-ish. Yes, down in Bankery, which is not far my mom wants me. from where we are. But yeah, Christmas will be fun. I'm absolutely gassed. I'm just I'm more gassed just for the meal, to be fair, and the presents that I'm getting, because I know what I'm getting. So I'm like, I'm, and... I'm one of those where I get I get more excited to give people the presents because I like seeing their reactions oh, to the oh, stuff I've got mate, in them. I did that today. I gave my gifts to my boss, and he didn't want to see them, so he only has obviously seen them when he's come home and opened them because I didn't wrap them. And he says he's thankful for them, but it's always nice uh, seeing people's reaction when you give gifts. Their face of just like yeah you got to make a good gift and you feel good because you know they're enjoying what you got them which is what will happen when sean gets my uh the gifts from me he'll be like whoa because we I, I you can always get gifts for people or just family or just everyone but usually i only get for mom and dad my best mate sean because we've gotten gifts for years um others if they get me and then that's realistically because it, it's so much money now to spend on gifts and I never ask for loads anyway, but I only know what I'm getting because I've learned that obviously as I've gotten older, the reason grandparents ask is they just want to get the right gift. They don't want to get something and feel like you're disappointed. So like my mum, they have to, they always ask my mum now what I want because they never know what to get me. My mum has to be like, right. So over the past few years, you just go with this. It's quite easy. She's an easy person to buy for. But they don't really like what I like, so they don't really understand why I'd want the stuff that I want. So therefore, they don't get me the stuff that I ask for. It's it's a very like ah uh, kind of like they always my auntie and uncle always try and get me something that's pink and glittery and flowers and I'm just, and flowery and I'm like I don't like that. That's not me. Stop it, please. I'm not gonna use it, and I don't want to waste. Feel like you've wasted your money or your present because this is just isn't me anymore. It's not been me for the past ten years, but. My family's one of those. It's my family's fun, but it's also like me and my mum are just like, uh, this is gonna drain the living daylights out of us, isn't it? But I've done today. I've done my did the last of my wrapping. I've done uh, my Christmas alcohol shop. Meaning it's all like my Christmas alcohol shop is literally like just you know like when you go around someone's thing a uh, house for an event. And you feel like you have to bring something to be polite. So it's basically me bringing around like a bottle of wine for each time I'm going to someone's fucking house this weekend. So like, got a bottle for my nana and granddad for the for, just for Christmas presents. So they got a nice fancy bottle of prosecco. Then I've got my mum's favourite wine, which she never buys anymore because it's too expensive. But I bought a bottle of that for Christmas Day because you know it's Christmas Day, and she'll be happy that she actually gets to have this wine again for the first time in probably like ten years. Uh. And then I bought a bottle for me and my mum for Boxing Day when we have to go through all that. But tonight, like my uh, my Christmas festive stuff started the other day because I finished work for t- I finished work for two weeks. It feels like I'm back in school again, where you finish where you finish school for a couple of weeks. It feels amazing. So I've been like proper in like Christmassy mood. And then tonight, me, 
Jacob and my flatmate are watching like Christmas movies with some snacks and everything, make some hot chocolates. I bought a uh, maple pancake rum liqueur to put in the hot chocolates and it is absolutely gorgeous that I got from York, uh, York Markets last week. But yes, Christmas! Everything is good and nice about Christmas, and I was gonna, I was gonna, what was I, I was gonna say that loads of people do a different stuff at Christmas, like you know, watch movies or uh, play games or whatnot. Maybe people at Christmas now, let's whip on the latest episode of the True Crime Friday podcast. Let's all give a listen for Christmas. Yes, <laughs> and we've if got... that happens, that would be that would be nuts. That would be that would be a family bonding experience, wouldn't it? Now, like, oh, what are you listening to lately? So I'm listening to this. Oh, let's all listen. Gather on the fireplace and listen. Oh, Jesus. Well, for this Christmas episode, I have picked a Christmas case. Thing is, I realised I did the Christmas episode last year, so it's good that you've got it this year. I do, and I've got a Christmas uh, case. Well. well, mine wasn't Christmas themed last year. I didn't think too much on that, but I was—I wanted to try and find one that was Christmas themed. Uh, so this was it a Killer Santa. No. So, oh. uh, no, this one's a very—it's famous—it's a very famous case. If you're in America, if you're from America, then you will hundred percent know this case. I feel like Americans know this case a bit more. But if you're a bit of a true crime nut, then you will probably have heard this. Um, this case is one of those that has a lot of conspiracy theories. It has a lot of... It's a lot of questions surrounding it. So it's an unsolved case. Uh, but it's very famous. It is the case of John Rene Ramsey. Uh, you don't know what this one is, do you? No, I don't. Okay, so... John Rene Ramsey... John Renee Ramsey, she was an American child beauty queen and she was killed at the age of six in Boulder, Colorado. So we're going to go into this because it's about, it's a whole thing. This all takes place in one night. Let's point this out now as well. This takes place in one night, this whole thing. Yeah, I do not know this case. But also... In America, it's very, very known. I was going to mention in the aspect of the last two episodes that we just did, it was Richie Edwards' birthday today. And the Manic Street Preachers put up a post. So they, they do still look out for him. Aww. So if anyone's listening, I think that's nice. Oh, that. Especially because people... Are, I, I forgot people get, you know, uh, people's birth dates. So I forgot that he was born on the 22nd. But they had a post up basically... Um, Wishing him a happy birthday, and I shared it as well. But it's nice that they're Aww. still looking out for him, which is so. If anyone listened to the other ones and uh, enjoyed that one quite well, but I don't know this. I have never seen this girl in my entire life, photo-wise. Nilt, nothing. So yeah, like I said, it's, it's very popular in America. Uh, this whole case. Uh, so yeah, she passed. She died when she was when she was six. She was killed in her family's home in Boulder, Colorado. So Jomini Ramsey was born on the sixth of August, nineteen ninety, in Atlanta, Georgia. She was the younger of two children of Patricia Patsy Ramsey and John Bennett Ramsey. She had an older brother named Burke. Uh, her first name combines her father's first and middle names, and her mother's first name was used as her middle name. 
She was enrolled in kindergarten at High Peaks Elementary School in Boulder, Colorado. So John Ramsey, her father, was a businessman who was the president of Access Graphics, a computer software company that later became a a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. His first marriage ended in divorce in 1978. In 1991, John had moved with Patsy, his second wife, and family to Boulder, where Access Graphics headquarters was located. Patsy Ramsey entered JonBenet in various child beauty pageants in Boulder. Now, I'm going to point out now, I don't agree with child beauty pageants. I find them, This I find, is where... I find, she, I, find, she, I, find, I find them a bit weird. See, when you mentioned that, I was a bit like... Mm. I mean, I can't say I've seen any, but I do feel I like... Remember the, I remember the reality show Toddlers and Tiaras that was very popular oh, years God. ago. I, I, was that, I, even on the telly, that, that's a bit worse, isn't it, now? Yeah, and there was like... Who's, who's watching that and going, oh, wow, this is great prime telly, I want to I've, see this. I've watched like a, quite a few episodes of it because I was just so fascinated, like, why the fuck are these, like, toddlers, these babies, being, like, smothered in makeup <laughs> and parading around in front of adults that are rating that are judging them based on beauty when they are literal children and it would always be and in the judges you'd have like a couple women but then you'd always have this one creepy bloke who'd be like oh yeah that's gorgeous just staring this toddler up and down i'm like you are on a register and i know you are See, it's fine if you have a child and when they're young, you maybe want to make them dress a certain way or get into a specific style because that's the style you're into. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed if yeah. you know, if I had a child and then when he was young, I made him look emo. a little emo yeah. or I made him look a little pop punk. That's fine, but I'm just doing that on my own accord and making the child look like that. Whereas the fact is that they do it to get judged and then... Get money. Bas- I think you earn money. You earn money off this than a title, I'd assume. They get like twenty grand from like, like from winning the pageant. Sometimes, yeah, it's like twenty grand per. And win. I've just I've just gotten up the wiki. It does say that cargos may include casual wear, swimwear. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, always I, like I don't know about that. There's always like themed ones. I think there's been a few times when run toddlers tiaras where they get them to dress in like burlesque. I made them do a burlesque performance. They'd be like five-year-olds, like, and they're like, so young. And there's these little girls just basically crying all the time because they're tired. They're so exhausted, and then to go to all these rehearsals and be there all day. They're absolutely tired, so the mums are plowing them with sugar to basically get them giddy, and then they're just crying all the time. One girl is crying because she doesn't feel beautiful enough. I'm like, you're three. This should not be a worry. Yeah, and I also feel like it's very maybe detrimental. The fact is that they're judging them, and then someone's like, "Oh well," but essentially it's, "Oh, all these other childs, they're kind of ugly." Oh, but this one's not. This one we prefer over the rest of them, and that's with them powdered with makeup to hide what they actually look like. And I've always I understand that people wear loads of makeup, but there's also, I mean, there's that stereotype and the thing people say that teenage girls and academy or high school they apply on so much makeup when they take it all off you think who the hell are you it's like a different person I mean, I'm, you know I'm, and i feel like I, in an I, instance like this i mean i make myself look different when i wear makeup so i'm never going to judge people wearing makeup but i do think yeah i won't judge i but, do feel like children shouldn't be wearing it you know what i mean some people loads of me you know the ones i mean absolutely look orange and then take it all off they are a different person i feel like especially as a child i don't think you should be doing something where you're heavily makeup 
make-uping your child, if that's the right term, for that to be judged. And then, because the kid's not going to know. And I guess when they grow older, someone's going to tell them, oh, you were in a beauty pageant, but well, you didn't win. And yeah. then the kid's going to think, well, was I ugly? Was I an ugly baby or something? Well, Especially the- in today's society, people are so judgmental of themselves. Well, a lot of the time they carry it out until, like, the teenagers, a lot of the time they do stick to it. But it is, from what I've seen, is how the parents get their income is from these beauty pageants, which is way too much pressure on a fucking child. But, so, Patsy entered Jomine in a lot of the child beauty pageants in Boulder, where she won the titles of America's Royal Princess, Little bit, little Miss Chevro, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. John Monet's active role in child beauty pageants and Patsy's reported pageant mother behaviour were reported by the media after the murder. In the summer of 1997, approximately six months after John Monet's death, the Ramses moved to a new home in Atlanta after a summer at their vacation retreat in in Chavero, in in Michigan. According to statements that Patsy gave to authorities on the 26th of December 1996, she realised that her daughter was missing after she found a two and a half page, page handwritten ransom note on the kitchen staircase at the Ramsey family Boulder residence. The note demanded $118,000. John pointed out to the police for first on the scene that the amount was nearly identical to his Christmas bonus of the year of the prior year. Which, which suggested that someone would have access to that information would be involved in the crime. Investigators looked at several theories behind the dollar amount demand, considering employees at Access Graphics who may have known the amount of John's prior bonus. They also considered the possibility that the ransom demand was a reference to Psalm 188 and spoke to religious sources to determine possible relevance. The ransom note was unusually long. The FBI told the police that it was very unusual for such a note to be written at the crime scene. The police believed that the note was staged because it did not have any fingerprints except for Patsy's and and authorities who had handled it. And because it included an unusual use of of exclamation marks and and initialisms, Uh, the note and the practice draft were written in a pen and notepad and from a notepad from the ramsey home according to a colorado bureau of investigation report they said that there are indications that the author of the ransom note is patricia ramsey so this is very similar to like the madeline mccann case where a lot of people do suspect the parents of being the ones that committed the murder it's very similar just didn't Obviously, it's not gone on as long as the Madeleine McCann case, meaning they already know she's dead. But it's very similar with the amount of fingers pointed at the parents. So they're still not trying to prosecute the parents as the victims? Not really, but there's a lot of theories that they... That there's a lot of people that have conspiracy theories, kind of like kind of like with the Madeleine McCann case, where they have a lot of conspiracy theories that the parents actually did it. It's very similar with that. It's very evil. I, uh, th- this happens probably way way too often that parents do this sort of thing. I I feel like a lot of people shouldn't be having kids because they're they're ending up doing this fucked up stuff. So I, I we'll see we'll see we'll see after I hear all the case what my verdict is. 
So the evidence fell short of a definitive conclusion. Michael Baden, a board certified forensic pathologist who had consulted with both sides of the case, said he had never seen a note like it in his 60 year experience and that he did not think it was written by an outside stranger. A federal court ruled it highly unlikely that Patsy had wrote the note, citing six certified handwriting experts. The court demanded the existence of self-proclaimed experts without credentials trying to enter the case by accusing Patsy without scientific basis. So there are, I'm going to read the note out now. When I, I've changed a, a bit of it, meaning like the spelling, because there was quite a few spelling mistakes within the note. Um... So I, I oh. but there, but it's one of those. Where there's quite a few spelling mistakes, but it is a fairly long note. So see, when you said you changed it, I thought you meant you were just changing the spelling of stuff to the English way to the American way. Uh, yeah, a bit of that was also quite a bit. Of, it was just a bit of spelling mistakes. Spelling color the right way. Uh, yeah, well, there's that. But. Uh, so. The letter says, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want to see her to see you in 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $188,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Very specific. I don't know why. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attached to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any, any deviation of my instructions will result in an immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for, for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter will do particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as the police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasurements and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. Is it me or does it sound like a note that you'd find in a game when you're on like a mission? Especially the ending bit where they're constantly saying his name. Yeah. I mean, depends what type of game you're playing. I mean, if you're playing a fishing simulator and you get that note, then <laughs> what the fuck's going on with your yeah, game? Yeah, not not but, like a farming simulator. <laughs> yeah. 
weird. I I can't even imagine someone getting like a ransom note and reading it through and then being like, oh fuck. Yeah. Because they they basically wrote in the note that your daughter's gonna die. Yeah. Regardless of what you do, because that's the way these evil fuckers play it. They make it seem like there's some way that you can get your family member whatever alive, and then they just isn't and they're just gonna kill them anyway where they give you some false sense of hopes so you come after them and then more than likely you come after them and then you see them die when you i don't know come and see them i feel like i'm describing it in a very movie plot way but you know what i mean that's yeah. what it feels like these ransom notes they want the the families to try and come after thinking there's hope just so they could see their own child brother sister whoever die yeah so the only people known to be in the house on the night of her death were her immediate family, Patsy and John Ramsey and their son, Burke. The ransom note contained specific instructions against contacting police and friends, but Patsy telephoned the police at 5.52am. She also called families and family and friends. Two police officers responded to the 911 call and arrived at the Ramsey home within three minutes. They conducted a... a search of the house but did not find any sign of forced entry. Officer Rick French went into the basement and came to, the, to a door that was secured by a wooden latch. He paused for a moment in front of the door but walked away without opening it. French later explained that he was looking for an exit route used by the kidnapper which closed in, used inside Peg ruled out. JonBenet's body was later found behind that door. I knew it. I knew it. It would be the case of some twat just didn't look. Yeah. I mean, it's fair enough, right? If you're if you're just a normal human being going to someone's house and you see something suspicious, but that man isn't you, just a normal human. He had a role. You're a police officer, like like you're searching every inch of the house, check even if even if like, I know you're looking for like an exit, and that door is not specifically going to be an exit. But if you're you're looking for a missing child, like look everywhere just in case, because they could be holding her, but they could be holding her behind that door, which she went, which is where she was found. Just fucking look, man. I mean, how bad is that? If like the family members found out, oh yeah, uh, the police officer that came to have a look just didn't really have a hundred percent of a look. You'd feel distraught and let down by the, you know, the the, the civil service that they didn't do their job thoroughly and fuck it someone could argue blah 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 but come on he's a police officer you know well, if you go to look for someone somewhere and notice something suspicious that's something you probably wouldn't want to ignore so the team used modern modern equipment and an, and an interview with the 911 dispatcher kimberly articular to examine the 911 call and claim that there were three voices on the tape patsy john and burke they believed one of the three voices was a boy. At the end of the call, the 911 dispatcher heard Patsy say, Okay, we've called the police, now what? By slowing down the last six seconds of the recording of the call, they heard three people talking. Patsy was deemed to have said, What did you do? And help me, Jesus. John saying, We're not speaking to you. A child, likely Burke, saying, What did you find? 20 years before, the Secret Service and FBI had listened to the same tape and heard... Sorry, sorry, 10, 20 years later. Uh, the, the Secret Service and the FBI had listened to the same tape and, and heard nothing to indicate that Burke's voice could be heard. So the police and FBI are saying that they couldn't hear Burke on that tape. 
In 2003, NBC had also sent out the recording to their own experts, who agreed that nothing of substance could be made out in the seconds after Patsy finished talking. The wording used during the call was concerning to the team. During the call, Patsy did not mention the name of her daughter. Also, she said, I'm the mother and we have a kidnapping. Like, I'm going to guess because they're very wealthy, she might have jumped to the conclusion that just by saying her last name, they might have known who her daughter is, considering she's in a lot of prestigious beauty pageants. Maybe that might have been why. Or, you know, she's just thinking, where's my fucking kid? Well, I mean, there's people who are famous in as many realms of stuff that no one's going to know everyone, so... Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, possibly that might have been a reason, but God knows. So with John Bonet still missing, John made arrangements to pay the ransom. A forensics team was dispatched to the house. The team initially believed that the child had been kidnapped and John Bonet's bedroom was the only room in the house that was cornered off to prevent contamination of evidence. Thing is, right, you're believing that the kid's been, that she's been kidnapped, right? 100% corner off her room. 100% because that's where she would have been taken from. But the note was found in the kitchen. Why are you not cornering off the entire fucking house because they didn't just go into a room they went into the kitchen which means they went to another section of the house they had to go from a to b meaning they've walked through the fucking house corner off the entire thing that's what that's where my brain's gone to it's like the note was found in the kitchen so therefore they've been in the kitchen they've touched other things cross off the entire fucking place but no, that's just me thinking logics. No precautions were taken to prevent contamination of evidence in the rest of the house. Meanwhile, friends, victim advocates and the Ramsey family family's minister arrived at the home to show support. Visitors picked up and cleaned surfaces in the kitchen. Why? This is the thing. Right, I understand ringing the family, ringing your friends to be like, can you help us try and find our kid? But... This is the same shit that happened with the Madeleine McCann case. They went and touched fucking everything around the play, around the scene, which messed up the evidence or any potential evidence. And then with this one, why are they cleaning the surfaces in the kitchen? Why are you cleaning the place? That's what I don't get, right? If if a crime has happened, from what I've seen, is that everyone's supposed to be very strict about no one can go anywhere near because as soon as something gets contaminated or fucked up, that's it. That's why everything's in the bags and everything, and I'm no DNA crime scene expert. That's why they wear the suits and stuff. But if, like, something's happened, you know, and they're cleaning without gathering enough evidence or anything, that just seems so fucking stupid. Like, do people not have that mindset of, oh shit, we might have just wiped away some useful DNA? Oh well. You know, surely precautions should be taken to the highest level, considering it's a child that's gone missing. Why are you uh, like picking up and cleaning surfaces in the kitchen, which possibly destroyed evidence? Boulder Detective Linda Ardmit arrived at around 8am in anticipation of receiving further instructions by the kidnapper, but there was never an attempt by anyone to claim the money, because the kidnapper said, I will ring you in between 8 and 10 to come and so I can come and collect the money. That call never happened. Like at all. Like that just never happened. 
And if they're so determined on getting this money, that would have that should have been like a first priority, but they've not rang or anything, despite the large sum of money that they have told them to withdraw. At 1pm, Detective Ardman asked John Ramsey and Fleet White, a family friend, to search the house to see if anything seemed amiss. Because obviously it's their house, they might notice if like a plant pot's been slightly moved. Like They're going to know their house better than the police are going to. They might as well go around and just have a, a sweep of it to see if they think anything's a bit out of place. Which, yeah. is, which to be fair, I agree with. Good call. I do think they should have started a bit earlier, but that's just me. They started their search in the basement. Okay. John opened the latch door, which Officer French had overlooked, and found his daughter's body in one of the rooms. So her father found her in the end. John Bonet's mouth was covered in du- with duct tape, a nylon cord was found around her wrist and neck, and her torso was covered by a white blanket. John picked up the child's body and took it upstairs. When John Bonet was moved, the crime scene was further contaminated. A critical forensic evidence was disturbed for the returning forensics team. I understand why he picked her up, because his brain's probably thinking, this is my child, this is my daughter, I, I, I need to pick her up, I need to hold her, that this is my baby. That I can, I can understand why he picked her up. It would have contaminated the crime scene, but I do understand why he, his first instinct was probably to pick her up. Uh, each of the Ramseys provided handwriting, blood, and the hair samples to the police. John and Patsy participated in the preliminary interview for more than two hours, and Burke was also interviewed within the first couple of weeks following her death. The autopsy revealed that John Bonet had been killed by strangulation and a skull fracture. The official cause of death was aspraxia by strangulation associated with cranial cerebral fracture. The- so she got damage to the head then? Uh, yes. So she was strangled, they believe it strangled, and then hit on the head that caused some damage to the brain, which ultimately led to brain failure? Uh, basically, yeah. Yeah, okay. There was no evidence of conventional rape, although sexual assault could not be ruled out, which is really unfortunate. Although no uh, semen was found, there was evidence that there had been a vaginal injury. Oh. Which is not anything anyone wants to hear, let alone her parents and possibly her brother. Oh, that's fucked. Very much, she is six years old. At the time of the autopsy, the pathologist recorded that it appeared her vaginal area had been wiped with a cloth. Her death was ruled a homicide. The garret, a, a garret that was made from the length of nylon cord and the broken handle of a paintbrush was tied around John Bonet's neck and had apparently been used to strangle her. Part of the Bristol end of the paintbrush was found in a tub containing Patsy's art supplies, but the bottom third of it was never found, despite extensive searching of the house by the police in subsequent days. The autopsy revealed a vegetable of fruit material which may represent pineapple, which John Bonet had eaten a few hours before her death. Photographs of the home taken on the day when John Bonet's body was found show a bowl of pineapple on the kitchen table with a spoon in it. However, neither John nor Patsy said they remembered putting the bowl on the table or feeding pineapple to John Bonet. 
Police reported that they found John Monet's nine-year-old brother, Burke Ramsey's fingerprints on the bowl. The Ramseys have always said that Burke slept through the entire night until he was awakened several hours after the police arrived. Experts, media commentators and the Ramseys have identified potential suspects in the case. Border police initially focused almost ex- exclusively upon John and Patsy, but by October 1997 had over 1,600 people in their index of persons of interest for the case. Errors that were made in the initial investigation complicated the, resolu- the resolution of the investigation and applica- an, uh, an applicable theory. Those errors included loss and contamination of evidence, lack of experienced and technical staff on the investigation, evidence shared with the Ramses, and delayed informal interviews with the parents. Lou Smith was a detective who came out of retirement in early 1997 to assist the Boulder County District Attorney's Office with the case. In May 1998, he presented his finds to the Boulder Police with other staff members of the DA's office, concluding that the evidence pointed away from the Ramses. They were unable to successfully challenge the police department's belief that the Ramses were guilty. The DA's office sought to take control of the investigation due to the animosity between the police and the DA's office and the pressure to obtain a conviction. Colorado Governor Roy Romer inserted and named Michael Kane a special prosecutor to initiate a grand jury. Two of the lead investigators in the case had opposing views. Both Lou Smith and Steve Thomas ultimately resigned. Smith believed that the investigation had incompletely overlooked the intruder hypothesis and Thomas because the DA's office had interfered with and failed to support the police investigation of the case. A grand jury was convened between September 15th, 1998 to consider indicating the Ramses for charges related to the case. In 1999, the grand jury returned to a true bill to charge the Ramses with placing the child at risk in a way that led to her death and with obstructing an investigation of murder due to John Ramsey's tampering with the crime scene. I don't feel like if they've not, if, if at this point you're not thinking that they've done it, how have they placed their child at risk? Mm, when, she's, when, yeah. when, she, when she's asleep in bed? They put her to bed. How is that their fault? What happened after after that? I mean, I wouldn't say that's putting anyone at risk, but also, I guess, in a weird way of thinking it, that anyone's at risk if you go to bed yeah, because but you're, you're asleep. Gonna, but you're not going to charge the parents with like putting the child at risk. No, I mean, if 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 you put your child to sleep, and then and the next day they weren't there, disappeared. You know, that's not your fault because you put someone to sleep just assuming that they'd be there the next day because people go to sleep and they wake up. You know what I mean? So that's not really putting someone at risk. I mean, if you put them physically in the hands of a fucked up individual and you knew that, then that's putting someone at risk. Yeah, that's but, true. But, yeah, the fact that they're trying to charge them with putting a child at risk that led to a death is bizarre in my head so this was based on probable cause standard applied in such grand jury proceedings i just don't think it was necessary 
Uh, but Boulder County District Attorney Alex Hunter did not prosecute them because he did not believe that he could meet the highest standard of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt that is required for criminal conviction. Basically, he's saying it's fucking pointless. And I do agree with him. You're wasting time. Just try and look for how for the person that killed her instead of wasting time on trying to sentence the parents for putting the kid to fucking bed. Like, there's more important things to focus on in this case than this. Mary Lacey, the next Boulder uh, County District Attorney, took over the investigation from the police on the 26th of December 2002. In April 2003, she agreed with federal with a federal judge who sat on a 2002 liberal case that uh, that evidence in the suit is more consistent with a theory that an intruder murdered John Bonet than it was a theory of of that Mrs. Ramsey did. On the 9th of July 2008, this go this is a very like the case has been going on since it happened basically. On the 9th of July 2008, the Boulder District Attorney's Office announced that as a result of newly developed DNA sampled and testing techniques, the Ramsey family members were excluded as suspects in the case. Lacey publicly exonerated the Ramseys. So they have been proven through DNA that they did not do it. Or were not involved. Like, they have been proved through DNA... Which must have made that guy, that, that that attorney who tried to convict them of putting a child at danger look like a right fucking knob. In December 2003, forensic investigators extracted enough material from a mixed blood sample found on John Bonet's underwear to establish a DNA profile. That DNA profile belonged to an unknown male person and excluded the DNA from each of the Ramseys. The DNA was, sub- was submitted to the FBI's Combined DNA Index System, a database containing more than 1.6 million DNA profiles, but the sample did not match any profile in the database. So it's someone who's clearly not been convicted of a crime because they don't have the DNA on hold. In October 2016, a report said that new forensic analysis with more sensitive techniques revealed that the original DNA contained genetic marks from two individuals other than John Bonet. So two people were the ones that killed her, by the looks of it. Or possibly more, but there's two pieces of DNA found at the scene that was not hers. A James Collar, who was a lead investigator uh, for the DA's office, said that there were were additional traces of male DNA found on the cord and paintbrush that Boulder District Attorney Mary Lacey did not mention and that there were six separate DNA samples belonging to unknown individuals that were found by the test. Former FBI profiler Candace DeLong believes that the DNA, having shown up identically in, different, in several different places on multiple surfaces, belongs to the killer. Wait, Candace DeLong? Yeah, I know you were fucking going to do this. <laughs> Who is... I don't know how you, how do you spell Candace. C A N D I C E. As soon as I typed along when I was doing this research, I knew as soon as I said that fucking name, he was going to perk up. <laughs> yes, that's. Uh, it doesn't have an E at the end. Uh, Not never related mind. to Tom DeLong. Because there's no E at the end. No E at the end. So, <laughs> nope. I knew that's what was going to I knew I knew it was going to happen. I mean, Blink-182 is my favourite band of all time. I, yeah. 
So former Adams County, Colorado District Bob Grant, who has assisted the Boulder's DNA office on the case for many years, also believes the DNA evidence is significant, saying that any resolution of the case would have to explain how the DNA showed up on several pieces of JonBenet's clothing. Forensic pathologist Michael Baden said trace amounts of DNA can get on places and clothes from all different non-suspicious means. There is no forensic evidence to show that this is a strangle, a, strang, a strange murder. Don't fucking care, Michael. Just go fucking look, you knobhead. Just be like, oh, well, we don't know. This could this could be from a non-suspicious thing. Well, the, well, she's been fucking murdered, so I think you should probably look into it, you dick. Just go fucking look. Stop being a knobhead and look. That's just such a fucking stupid... I, I get the reason of saying it, but at the same time, it's like, that's not what we're trying to focus on here, Michael. We're trying to focus on finding the killer, so we might as well fucking look at the DNA, you know. Dickhead. He sounds like a dickhead based on that. On the 2nd of February 2009, Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner announced that Stan Garnett, the new Boulder County District Attorney, was turning the case over to his agency and that his team would resume investigating it. Garnett found that the statute of limitations for the crimes identified in the 1999 grand jury true bill had expired and did not pursue review of the case against the Ramses. So it's been like over 10 years and and they're still trying to pin it on the Ramses in a way despite the DNA telling them it's not them that committed the crime but you know clearly they just they can't they just gotta keep going with it in October 2010 the Boulder police reopened the cold case new interviews were conducted following a fresh inquiry by a committee that included state and federal investigators police were expected to use the latest DNA technology in their investigation there was no new information cleaned off, the, off of those interviews. It was reported in September 2016 that the investigation into John Bonet's death continues to be an active homicide case per Boulder Police Chief Greg Tester. In 2015, Beckner disagreed with exonerating the Ramses, stating, Exonerating anyone based on a small piece of evidence that has not yet been proved to even be connected to the crime is, is absurd. He also stated that the unknown DNA from JonBenet's clothing had got to be the focus of the investigation. At this point in time, and that until one can provide otherwise, the suspect is the donator of that unknown DNA. We've been fucking saying this, man. We've been saying this for the past God knows how long. In 2016, Gordon Combs, a former investigator for the Boulder County District Attorney's Office, also questioned total absolution of the Ramses, stating, We all shed DNA all the time within our skin cells. It can be deposited anywhere at any time for various reasons. Reasons that are begging. To clear somebody just on the basis of touching DNA, especially when you have a situation where the crime scene wasn't secure at the beginning, really is a stretch. Stephen E. Pitt, a forensic uh, psychiatrist hired by Boulder Alternatives, said Lacey's public exoneration of the Ramses was a big slap in the face to Chief Beckner and the core group of detectives who have been working on the case for years. So basically, it's getting a bit bitchy and a bit like argue, argumentative in the police force when it comes to this case. I mean, I get why. I completely understand why. It just feels like there's been no communication between anyone in this case. Like, at all. 
it feels like one person saying let's do one thing and then not communicating it with, a, with everyone else to get their opinion and just doing it anyway it feels like there's just been no communication with a lot of this now obviously there are a lot of theories and suspects within this case because it is unsolved unfortunately to this day so there is a lot of theories there are two primary theories about the death of John Bonet. One is the family member theory, which we already know about. Boulder police initially concentrated almost exclusively upon the parents, John and Patsy Ramsey. According to Greg McGarry, a retired profiler with the FBI, statistically it is twelve to one it is a twelve to one probability that it is a family member or a caregiver who's involved in the homicide of a child. The police saw no evidence of a forced entry, but did see evidence of staging of the scene, such as the ransom note. They did not find the Ramseys cooperative in helping them solve the death of their daughter. The the Ramseys had said that their reluctance was due to their fear, that there would not be a full investigation for intruders, and that they would be hesitantly selected as the key suspects in the case, according to the Daily Camera. One theory is that Patsy struck John Bonet in a fit of rage after be- after a bedwetting episode and strangled her to cover up what had happened. After mistakenly thinking that she was already dead. Now, I don't believe that she's going to slap a kid and then think, I need to hide that I've hit my kid, so I'm going to kill her. I don't think that's what's happened here. See, I always find that to be very stupid yeah. where people end up killing someone because they'd already hurt them and they didn't want anyone to kind of know. So they kind of damage them more, which is a stupid way of doing it. But you know when people have that fear of like, oh no, I've, I've hurt someone. Oh shit, oh, fuck it, I'll just end up hurting them more. And then you kill them and then you hide them away. Yeah. I feel that's, that's so stupid. Yeah, because I don't feel like she's going to be that dumb to hit a kid and then go, need to kill her to cover it up. Like, it's very horrific to say, but she probably would just tell her to keep quiet and then cover up the bruise with makeup. Because yeah, she's, she's, mean... she's already putting makeup on her anyway for these fucking pageants. She was probably just, she'd probably just do that. She wouldn't kill her after just hitting her. Because that's just stupid. Cause why, and it was over his bed wetting, wasn't it? Yeah, kids wet the bed. A lot of parents, especially when I was growing up, if you wet the bed, they'd fucking kick off about it because you'd wake them up in the middle of the night being like, Mom, I've wet the bed. Mom, I've weed. And then they'd kick off. It happens. But, and yet you might, if you've got that kind of a parent, they might hit you because they've gotten a bit fucking angry about it. But they're not going to fucking strangle you to be like, oh my God, people are going to know I've hit my kid. I feel like they're, that, like, people are going to fucking look at you in a disgusted way for hitting your kid. But this is also the 90s. It wasn't uncommon for a parent to occasionally slap the kid. It wasn't uncommon. It was actually quite common. It was kind of like a normal form of punishment, which it shouldn't be, and I don't agree with it in the fucking slightest, because I've been hit as a kid. It doesn't fucking work. But I don't think she's going to go, oh, I need to hide it. Let's kill her. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad times have changed where people are less violent towards, because it violence, is using a, violence is using a scaremongering technique. It doesn't where... work. Like, me and my flatmate have had this discussion. We were both hit as kids. It didn't work. 
I mean, people like being hit now, but that's in a different context. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I just like I would never abuse my child. You know, if they've done wrong, you need to show them that they've done wrong, but in a way that's not gonna make them feel pain or anything like that. You know what I mean? So and. It's on record as well that Patsy didn't actually have any history of uncontrolled anger. She didn't have, like, a fit of rage. She never really got angry, apparently. According to John Bonet's brother, Burke, he said, We didn't get spanked, nothing of the sort, nothing close, nothing near laying a finger on us, so let, her, let alone killing your kid. So apparently, like, John Bonet was never hit. I doubt she'd be hit anyway, considering she is literally in pageants and it's very, very in your face. So I highly doubt she was getting hit. Also, the son who has got nothing to lose at this fucking point is just being like, well, if, if we were getting hit, I'd fucking tell you. And no, we weren't. Also, you can check... One thing as well, like, if she has been hit so hard that it's left a mark that night, when her body was found, it should the mark would have been on her face. <laughs> And there wasn't. So, especially if she's died, that mark will remain on her face. And it, there was no mark on her face. Otherwise, it would have been on record. And it wasn't on record. So, clearly, that never fucking happened. There you go. I just completely got rid of your theory. Suck it. Because <laughs> it would have been on the police record. Oh, yeah, this, they, they put, like, strangulation marks possible sexual assault they put all this in the police record of when her body was found in the autopsy nothing of a sort about a bruise on the face to show that she had any more injuries so clearly not clearly that didn't happen so theoretically the strangulation could have been a red herring aspect to conceal other elements of the assault and killing burke who was nine years old at the time of his sister's death was interviewed by investigators at least three times which must have been traumatic for a nine-year-old the first two interviews did not raise any concerns about him a review by a child psychologist stated that it appeared that the ramses had healthy caring family relationships in 1998, Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner said, uh, said during an interview with a news reporter that Burke Ramsey was not involved in the killing of his sister. The fact that... Oh, no, we, we, we've, we've done cases on, on child killers before, like, children who have killed. We're not going to jump to the conclusion, oh, no, he couldn't have done it because he's nine. Because it's not the first time where something like that has happened. But it's also rare. And this would be a very... I don't believe that a child has killed his sister and then written this fucking very obvious ransom note when he's nine. Just saying. Uh, in 1998, Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner said during an interview that report with a news reporter that Burke Ramsey was not involved in the killing of his sister. In May 1999, the Boulder County District Attorney's Office reiterated that Burke Ramsey was not a suspect. The investigators had never considered him a suspect. The Ramses offered a $100,000 reward in a newspaper ad dating the 27th of April 1997. Three days later, more than four months after the body of their daughter was found, they submitted for a first time separate formal interviews at the Boulder County Justice Centre. In 1999, Colorado Governor Bill Owens spoke about telling the Ramsey couple to quit hiding behind their attorneys, quit hiding behind their PR firm. 
I don't even know if this is one where you could even go, oh, they're doing it for the money. Because if he, this man got a $180,000 bonus. Like, the year before for Christmas. He probably got the same one that same year. They're not exactly short on cash. And he runs his own company. A Colorado grand jury voted in 1999 to indict the parents. The indictment cited two counts of each, two counts each of child abuse, and said the parents did unlawfully, knowingly, recklessly, and felonishly permit a child to be unreasonably placed in a situation that posed a threat of of injury to the child's life or health, which resulted in the death of John Benet Ramsey, a child under the age of sixteen. How? could probably go on like the whole fact that she was in beauty pageants but they weren't broadcasted on like tv on a national scale until like the mid 2000s so i don't even know if you could even consider that i mean if somebody was seeking her out they must have been at one of these pageants seen her there and then thought that's gonna be my because nowadays, you know, there's so much ways you could put yourself out there on the internet, etc., that could make you a risk. Because loads of people can see you, know who you are, you can get doxxed, that sort of thing. But if she wasn't, like, in the telly or, like, in the limelight, you'd obviously have to be at that beauty pageant or know, or know from word of mouth or be there and see her to then, you know... Yeah, I guess, but it's also like one of those where it's like they're just do, be, doing beauty pageants. That's not their fault. That's also at the fault of the beauty pageants not being well organised enough to watch who the fuck is coming in to watch this shit. Yeah, that that would be security issues. Because realistically, in my opinion, our beauty pageants, the only pe- despite the fact that I don't like them, the only people that need to be there are child beauty pageants are the parents or the guardian of the child and the judges and the kid and that's it that would be that would be so creepy though if you were at a pageant oh, and you, you see someone you sit next to someone and you go oh uh see an old man and you're like oh who are you, who are you here for your your granddaughter no i don't know any of these people i'm just here yeah that'd be like so fucking weird and creepy and you can't even be like oh let him just watch a people no it's children parading around and next to nothing no get out like you, that's just a, that's a security issue on the beauty pageants. That's not, that's not the parents' fucking fault. The case, so the case of John Bonet Ramsey, which became a show broadcast on CBS on the 18th of September and the 19th in 2016, used a group of experts to evaluate the evidence. The group theorised that Burke hit his sister in the head with a heavy object after she stole a piece of pineapple from his bowl, perhaps not intending to kill her. They suggested that the ransom letter was an attempt to cover up the circumstances of John Bonet's death. On behalf of Burke Ramsey, his counsel fled defamation lawsuits against CBS, the producers of the programme, and several of his participants based on many of its claims. Yeah, because he's like a fucking grown adult at this point. Well, yeah. 2016, he was nine in 1996, so yeah, he's like a full, he's almost 20. He's a full grown fucking adult at this point. The second theory is the intruder theory. The police said, and the prosecutor, I'm, I'm ruling out the mum hitter theory. I think that's just bullshit. 
The second theory is the intruder theory. The police said the prosecutors followed leads for intruders part partially due to the unidentified boot mark left in the basement from where John Bonet's body was found. Early persons of interest included neighbour Bill, McRe- uh, Bill McReynolds, who played Santa Claus. Chris, uh, who played Santa Claus that year. Chris Wolf, a local reporter whose then girlfriend reported him as a suspect. That's not dodgy. Family housekeeper Linda Hoffman Pugh and a man named Michael Helgoff who died in an apparent suicide shortly after John Bonet's death. Hundreds of DNA tests were performed to find a match to the DNA recovered during her autopsy. In a 2003 defamation lawsuit related to the case involving the Ramses, publicly identifying an early suspect in the case, Judge Julie E. Carnes wrote... There is, no vir- there is virtually no evidence to support Wolf's theory that the Ramses murdered their child, but abundant evidence to support the Ramses' belief that an intruder entered their home at some point during the night of the 25th of December 1996 and killed their daughter. Lou Smith, a detective in the case, assessed the evidence and concluded that an intruder had committed the crime. On the night John Bonet was killed, there had been two windows that were left slightly open to allow for electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through, a broken basement window and one unlocked door. I do think, you know, that to stop to that there needs to be like some form of an electrical outlet on the outside of houses that can that has a cover on it, so and everything, but like I don't know, some something like that, so the cords aren't going through windows. I always do think that should be a thing. I mean, if he's got cords going through windows, that's not very safe, is it? A lot of people do, though. That's the thing for Christmas lights that are outside. I think that's the reason why my parents have never done outside Christmas lights. And we might... No, I don't think we've done that. I think we've always put it through the, like a hole in our wall. My Because I feel like it's just not safe. I feel like our houses are built a bit differently, though, aren't they? Like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what your houses are like. I feel like our like in the UK, our houses are built a bit different, so we can allow that. Whereas in the US, there's a lot of it's mostly wood and a bit of insulate and a bit of insulation, so they probably can't do that. If oh, I, US houses, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's why they they have it through windows. But I do think you're going to have lights outside the house, which a lot of people do at this time of year. They either need to be solar panelled lights, but this is the 90s, so there probably wasn't, like, an electrical outlet if you're going to do it that way. But I think this is the reason why my parents have, yeah, I've never done outdoor Christmas lights. I've always done them indoor. My mum goes over the top with them, though, <laughs> inside the fucking house. Uh, so, the, yeah, the Christmas... There was a... The windows were left slightly open to allow for electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through, a broken basement window, which is not good, and one unlocked door. It's a thing, though, apparently, in like really certain in certain suburban neighbourhoods in America, where the, especially during the 90s, or and before, uh, where they do leave doors open because they know everyone in the neighbourhood. That is a thing. I've seen that in too many cases that we've covered, you know. Where they just leave the doors open. Well, unlocked, anyway. The steel grate that covered the window ha- also had undisturbed cobwebs, so obviously no one's tried to get through there. A foliage around the grate had been undisturbed. There were also cobwebs in the tracks of various windows, and dust and debris were on some sill- uh, sills. 
So that's probably a good thing that you've not cleaned away your cobwebs because that may manage to rule out a lot of stuff. So you know what? Sometimes having cobwebs around aren't too bad. Uh, Smith believed that the intruder subdued John Bonet using a stun gun and took her down to the basement. John Bonet was killed and a ransom note was left. Smith's theory was supported by former FBI agent John E. Douglas, who had been hired by the Ramsey family. Believing that the Ramseys were, in were innocent, Smith resigned from the investigation on the 20th of September 1998, five days after the grand jury was convened against the Ramseys. While no longer an official investigator on the case, Smith continued to work on it until his death in 2010. Author Stephen Singular, on, in his book Presumed Guilty, refers to consultations in, with cybercrime specialists to argue John Bonet attracted the attention of child pornographers and paedophiles affiliated with the child pageant scene. That is a possibility, unfortunately, because like, I, like, I've, said, like I've said earlier, on the odd few episodes of Toddlers and Tiaras that I have watched, the fucking judges are creepy, man. They There's are, nonsense they in are everywhere. Is the wording that they used? Just be like, be like, just staring at these kids, going, "Oh yeah, that's nice," and I'm like, "No, dodgy cunt, fuck off." So that is a possibility, but again, that's not the fault of the parents. That's more of a fucking security issue at these fucking pageants for not doing background checks into these cunts. If you're gonna be working with kids in this kind of environment, you need to just be not a fucking creepy pedo. Obviously. I shouldn't have to say that, but you My cat's crying. He wants food. He's had food. So you can't hear him. I have fed him. Uh Singular be uh, further believes the investigation was overly focused on the Ramsey parents, hampering investigation to alternate scenarios, and the Ramseys were not responsible for the murder other than perhaps an unwittingly exposing their daughter to sexual predators. Singular speculates that this scenario explains why the grand jury did not recommend indicting the Ramsey parents for murder, but for child abuse or endangerment for placing their daughter in a risky situation. You gotta indict them for that you need to do it to every single pageant family on the planet because it's a fucking massive industry so you're gonna have to do that to you just shut pageants down like there's gotta be an age limit there's gotta be a minimum age and i believe that minimum age should be should be eight, 18 at least like minors should not be part of these beauty pageants I, at all but that's my opinion sorry if you're a part of beauty pageants or you have been since you were a kid but for people who are outside looking in it just looks a bit dodgy for your safety it, it was determined that there had been more than 100 burglaries in the Ramsey's neighborhood in the months before John Bonnet's murder yeah, it's making me question why you had doors unlocked and windows open if there's been like a hundred burglaries in the space of a few months. Surely when burglaries happen, neighbourhood watch or neighbours tell the neighbours, yes, keep like, your doors locked. There's got to be one 50, 60 year old lady with a glass of wine at a window watching every fucker that goes down the street. There's got, I don't know, is that, is that a UK thing? 
Because that's a UK thing. There's always my dad's that person. I'm not gonna lie. My dad's the one who stands at the window with his coffee or something, being like, "Don't know that car seems but seems a bit weird." Like my dad's that person because he is he is the neighbourhood watch. But there's gotta be one person like that because there's like that on every fucking street, and there's always one lady, mostly called Maureen, who just goes weird white van going down the street. Don't know if it's dodgy or not. Thought I'd mention it. Keep an eye out. Kids riding down on bikes wearing wearing beanies. Don't know if they're going to try robbing somewhere. Just thought I'd let you know. There's always one. Why ain't there one in this situation? Or is this a UK thing? Get yourself a Maureen. Maureen's are good. Now there were also 38 registered sex offenders living within a two mile radius of the Ramsey's home. Oh, that's not good. In 2001, former Boulder County Prosecutor Tip DeMuth and Boulder County Sheriff's Detective Steve Ainsworth stated that there should be more aggressive investigation of the intruder theory. Yeah, no, I'm agreeing with us. Especially when you've got 38 registered sex offenders living two miles away. Surely they should be kept further away from family homes, right? But no, they live on, like, own, like their own kind of streets most of the time. Surely they shouldn't be that fucking close. One of the individuals whom Smith identified as a suspect was Gary Howard Olivia, who was arrested for two counts of attempted sexual sexual exploitation of a child and one count of sexual exploitation of a child. Charges in June 2016. According to Boulder's Daily Camera, uh, Olivia, a registered sex offender, was publicly identified as a suspect in October 2002. It, this were in the killing of John Monet, the truth uncovered broadcast by A&E on the 5th of September 2016, concluded that an unidentified male was responsible for John Monet's death, based on forensic DNA analysis of evidence. In the documentary, DNA and forensic scientist expert Lawrence Kobuski stated that an unidentified male committed this crime. The district attorney's office investigating paedophiles indicated to former Denver prosecutor Craig Silverman that the district attorney's office followed the intruder theory. The Ramses developed a relationship with district attorney Mary, Mary Lacey and her office, which was criticised by authorities such as the city's mayor, Leslie L. Durgin. Silverman said, Once you have conceded the possibility of an intruder, I don't see how, I don't see how any Ramsey could ever be successfully prosecuted. Gordon Coombs joined the office as investigator under Lacey when they were testing John Monet's clothing for touch DNA. He also said that Lacey strongly supported the intruder theory and talked about it with the staff. Although he was not directly involved with the case, he said he was told not to voice op- opposition to the theory because he might lose his job. It, he said, it just seemed weird the whole premise of this attempt to influence the entire agency, he stated. There was also a false confession, because there always is. I don't know why. Why are people who didn't do the crime confessing to the fucking crime? I don't understand the logic of it. Anyway. Alexis Val Reach was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand on the 15th of August 2006 following a false confession to murdering John Bonet. Reach, a 41-year-old school teacher, claimed to have drugged, sexually assaulted and accidentally killed John Bonet. According to DNN, authorities also said they did not find any evidence linking him to the crime scene. 
so why fucking say that you did it when you didn't? In the confession, Reach had provided only basic facts that were publicly known and failed to provide any additional convincing details. The claim that JonBenet was drugged further cast doubt on the confession because the autopsy indicated no drugs were found in her body. Bear in mind she was killed approximately 12 hours before her body was found, so the, and she was dead, so the, the drugs would be fucking clear as day in her system. Furthermore, Reach's DNA did not match DNA found in JonBenet's body. On the 26th of October 2006, Reach made an email to Bill Hammonds of Bill's List seeking a literary agent to help publish a manuscript that some might find controversial. Reach later sent emails under numerous pen names including Daxus the Conqueror, Dirk Pins and Alexis. Lynn Wood, the Ramsey's family, family uh, liberal attorney, filed defamation lawsuits against several people and companies that had reported on the case starting in 1999. They sued Star Magazine and its parent company American Media Incorporated on their son's behalf in 1999. Defamation suits have been filed by the, by the Ramsey's and their friends against several unnamed media outlets. A defamation suit was filed in 2001 against the authors and publisher of John Bonet inside the Ramsey murder investigation. The suit against Don Davis, Stephen Thomas and St. Martin's Press was settled out of court the following year. Don't worry, I checked. There's multiple like podcasts that have covered this case and they have not had any defamation suits. Don't worry, I checked. We're good. Uh, John and Patsy Ramsey were sued in two defamation lawsuits arising from the publication of their book, The Death of, I of Innocence. These suits were brought by two persons named in the book who were said to have been investigated by Boulder Police as suspects in the case. The Ramseys were defended in those lawsuits by Lynn Wood and three other Atlanta attorneys, James C. Rawls, Eric P. Scruder and S. Derek Boulder. They obtained the dismissal of both lawsuits. U.S. District Ju Court Judge Julie Carnes later concluded that abundant evidence in the murder case pointed to an intruder having committed the crime. In November 2006, Rod Westmoreland, a friend of John Bonet, filed a defamation suit against an anonymous web surfer who had posted two messages on internet forums using the pseudonym Under the Radar, implicating Westmoreland in the murder. During a September 2016 interview with CBS Detroit in the case of John Bonet Ramsey documentary television programme, forensic pathologist Werner Spitz accused Burke Ramsey of killing his sister. This is a key theory that I've seen a lot over the years, that it was Burke Ramsey. And for a bit of time I was, before I even looked into the case, I was like, oh, well, this is probably it because everyone thinks it is. And then I've looked into the case a bit more and I don't think he fucking did it. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think he did. On the 6th of October 2016, uh, Burke filed a defamation suit against Spitz. Burke and his attorneys, who include Lynn Wood, saw a total of $150 million in punitive and, and compensatory damages. Wood said he would also file a suit against CBS at the end of October 2016. On the 28th of December 2016, Burke Ramsey's lawyers filed an additional lawsuit that accused CBS, the production company Critical Content LLC, and several experts and consultations of defamation of character. 
They saw 250 million in punitive damages. In January 2018, so more recent, a judge denied the CBS motion to dismiss and the suit was allowed to proceed. In January 2019, Wood announced that the lawsuit had been settled to the satisfaction of all parties. And that is where the case comes to a close. Because since 2019, nothing else has been mentioned on the case. No one has been arrested. No one has been interviewed ever since. And there have been no more progression in the case. But I don't think that Burke Ramsey did it. Mm, I could see where people were going with that one. He's the brother. Uh, Could have just done it for... A multitude of reasons, but you know, he went and did an interview. But it's the thing though, whenever people do interviews later on, people go, Oh, well, it must be them. They're doing an interview later because there's been so much time that's passed that they can feel like they can just continue on their innocence or something. Yeah, like it's one of those where I don't, I think the theory of Patsy hitting her and then killing her to cover that up is actual bullshit. I think that's a whole load of shit. I don't think that fucking happened. Because the injuries of the hit would have been on her body and there wasn't any. So that, I don't think it's fucking true. Considering there'd been no evidence of this happening in the past, meaning, like, no evidence of violence in the past, I don't see how the fuck she would do it. Um, It can't be a money thing because they had a successful company. They had a very big house. They were getting $180,000 Christmas bonuses every year. She was a pageant queen. She was winning all these pageants. So she's getting a fucking... She's getting loads of money every time she wins a pageant. Like, I highly... And they're not going to kill her for money based on the success that she's currently at. Because why would they do that when she can continue and go on further with this? I don't think it was a money thing if they did kill her, which I don't think they did, you know. I'm going with the intruder theory purely because she was in the spotlight. They weren't too far away from a bunch of registered sex offenders. Pageantry does bring in the fucking wrongans, unfortunately, but it does. So I genuinely don't think that they killed her. That is fair. Um, I kind of maybe lean towards that one, too. Like, you're in an industry where you they don't do security well at these things, from what I can see. I mean, most places don't. They don't do background checks on a lot of people. It's a very high chance that that could have been the case. A lot of the pageants were in Colorado, so they were within the area. Like, she's a... She's very popular at that young age, winning all these pageants and winning them. Her dad is a very successful man with his own company. It's not going to be hard for them to, A, find her based on her last name. Also, if her name mixing with the dad's, it's not going to be hard to find him, meaning it's not going to be eventually hard to find out where they live. And I feel like that's a possibility here. When it comes into forced entry, there was unlocked doors and unlocked windows, I think it's very clear to say that the, I believe the intruder theory. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe in years to come we might find more evidence that we points might, towards something else. We might be wrong, yeah. We might be wrong. But based on the evidence that we've looked at, 
The intruder theory is looking more likely. But nothing's happened in the past few years a couple of years so maybe it's dying down but you never know stuff picks up you know they're probably still working on it behind the scenes but um yeah definitely an interesting one um one i wouldn't have thought of because you know again like i've said many times beforehand there's so many areas where true crime is in you don't think about it so never did i think oh hang on uh child beauty pageants could there be true crime within that and there is yeah, this is true. But yeah, that is the case of John Bonnet Ramsey. This was your Christmas special because it happened around Christmas time, which is very unfortunate. But that is your yes. new episode, start of a new year, because the next episode will be just before New Year, but this is going to be your final episode before Christmas. So with that, we look forward to seeing you next week. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you have a very Merry Christmas and we'll see you next time. Have a good Christmas. Hope Santa is good to you all. Yes. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.